The ultimate really is to go, well, there is efficient infrastructure, but there is more coming or more population employment and infrastructure. How do I free ride off the back of that? Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show, a code cracker indeed. We're going to dig into free riding and how that works inside the real estate marketplace. Yes, how do you take a free ride around the real estate monopoly board? There is a way and today we're going to dig into the way it actually works. It's a quite a science and uh, I want to share it with you guys. Hey, welcome back to the show. If it's your first time tuning in, welcome aboard to the Urban Property Investor. We do have some rules, play the program in double speed. And of course, all the episodes I've done are actually lessons on real estate. So if you like the idea of learning about real estate, feel free to float about, go back in time, listen to some past episodes You may learn something, uh, just a thing or two about real estate. A big part of my job these days is simply sharing information. And uh, this podcast is one outlet for me to share the gospel of real estate. Hey, things are good in my world. I hope they're good in your world. Uh, We're going to talk dogs once again. Yes. Uh, Now, we think we have a Guinness book of record dog inside of my family. Yes, by marriage. I am married to a Gopnik little woman from Moldova. Moldova is a strange little country in the middle of Europe that nobody really knows about. Now, inside of Moldova, my wife's parents live and they have a dog who is bloody old and sadly about to pass away. Now, this may uh, sound like a sad thing to talk about, but it's an amazing thing to talk about because this dog was born when the Soviet Union existed. We think the dog could be the oldest dog to have ever lived. And, uh, I had to Google how old was the oldest dog to ever live, and it was live to the ripe old age of 30. Now, we're trying to work out whether this German Shepherd is actually the oldest dog in the world. It could be, because the way I've seen photos of this dog as a puppy, and the photographs were taken when there was no colour film. It was black and white, and my wife is like... Uh, fairly small and young herself. So we think we have a Guinness Book of Record dog inside of our world. And so we're going to see if we can win the Guinness Book of Records for the oldest dog. We're going to try and work out uh, how we can prove it is. It's very interesting. Uh, the dog, if you like, is, uh, is, could be a student of Wim Hof, I mean, it uh, apparently has been taking snow baths for its whole life. So there you go. Maybe Wim Hof has it. 
that we need to immerse ourselves in cold water, learn to breathe and jump out and we'll live forever. Amazing. Uh, The oldest dog in the world could be related to me by marriage. That has me pumped. And today we're going to dig into free riding. Yes, the conversation of taking the free ride around the Monopoly board. Now, of course, if you have played Monopoly, uh, there is a card that you can get from Community Chest or Chance. Take a ride, uh, a free ride around the Monopoly board. If you pass go, collect $200. And of course, there is also in the corner of the Monopoly board, the free parking or uh, free riding section of the board. So it is an economic concept and whoever invented Monopoly, geez, they knew their stuff because they did not leave anything out. Free riding is a big conversation in economics and I today want to deliver that information to you so you can make some informed decisions on how to invest. Now, if you listen to last podcast, the last podcast I did, it will make more sense as I talk about free writing. So if you haven't listened to that episode, you probably should go back one episode and listen to the idea around pie economics and trends, momentum trends. There is a difference. Pie, of course, is population, infrastructure and employment. And momentum trends, things that come and go from real estate marketplaces are things like demographic shifts, yield uh, opportunities, and also supply and demand. Sometimes we're undersupplied, sometimes we're oversupplied. It's a trend. It, uh, it's not a uh, stable thing. It's a thing that comes like any trend. So... It's probably important you listen to that episode. And of course, if you are tuning in and have listened to that episode, then today is a little bit of a follow-up conversation from that episode. As I was doing that episode and as I finished, I kind of dawned on me that I should really teach people about the concept of free riding. What is free riding and how does it work? So property free riding for many people is considered a problem and economics uh, is an interesting subject, something that I just absolutely love. I love the idea that there's an economy out there and there's economic principles that we can learn. So in short, the free rider, if you like, particularly in real estate, is someone who really attempts to buy real estate and use a public good without paying for its use themselves. Now, one way to kind of understand that, if you like, is particularly with infrastructure, if we can go to a suburb which is perhaps going to get new commercial, new train lines, a new tram stop, that's going to benefit this small amount of people in that suburb or who live close to that infrastructure, but it's not going to be paid for by those people who live next door to that infrastructure or those smaller amount of people in that suburb. Who's going to pay for it 
is 26 million Australians. And so the free rider logic, if you like, is that a small group of people benefit at the cost of the complete part of society. And so as a property investor, if we want a free ride, what we can do is study population patterns, infrastructure patterns, and employment patterns, and obviously get a free lift in value off the back of it. Now, many, I guess, people in society do not like free riding. They do not like the concept that there are free riders out there. And the main reason is it really does benefit a small amount of people but costs everyone else a large sum of money. And of course, when it comes to real estate, the idea of real estate and that it's continually growing, if you take public spending and put it in a certain area and that benefits real estate holders then, of course, you usually see this incremental price increase, which in turn actually makes it less affordable for other people to partake in real estate. So anti-free riders believe that if someone's going to get a major piece of infrastructure put on their doorstep, they should potentially pay for that in some levy system Uh, so that the rest of society doesn't pay for it. So remember last week I was talking about the idea there is a difference between pi and momentum trends, and there, there really is. Momentum trends, if you like, are that marketplaces can get great levels of capital growth of things like demographic shifts, uh, the value of a yield, and more demand than there is supply. But if there is no pie, population improvement, infrastructure improvement or employment improvement, really you're buying an asset which is often related to another economic principle which is known as the greater fool theory. The greater fool theory is a economic principle that an investor buys what is seemingly an overvalued asset and really the only way out of that asset is selling it to, inverted commas, a greater fool who is willing to pay an even higher price for it despite the lack of value in the asset or intrinsic value in the asset, or any free riding value in the asset. In other words, it assumes that there will always be someone willing to pay a higher price for an asset, even though it fundamentally lacks fundamentals. And so the greater full theory really does pertain to trend investors. They're really buying a trend, now hoping another fool comes along and pays more for the same trend. But of course, as we know, trends tend to end. And of course, then we start to see a much greater reversal of fortune. 
The way around not being the greater fool is to both buy trends, demographics, uh, supply and demand and yields, but also add to that the pie model, which of course is your defensive position, as we talked about last week. So I won't harp on about that. But one way to consider what I'm talking about today is offense is your things like where can we find a shortage of supply and more demand, good demographics, and of course a high yield. Uh, Defense is where can we find population, infrastructure, and employment or economics. And the best way to do that, pi, is to also, when we're thinking about pi, is to go to a city which is going to have good population improvement, economic improvement, and of course infrastructure improvement, and free ride. Now the basis of free riding is that, for example, a huge piece of infrastructure that goes to a certain suburb doesn't exclude other people from using it. So, of course, anyone perhaps who's, uh, you know, can get the train to the new train station stop. It's not, it does not exclude anyone. Um, And it really also doesn't exclude rivals. Like at the end of the day, someone could bypass the train stop by using a car. But uh, this is kind of how, I guess, the public purse justifies why someone should get a better piece of infrastructure, that it's non-excludable uh, and, not, and it really people have choice. And so the initial investment cost, though, is going to come from the public purse And the argument is it just doesn't benefit everyone, but it benefits a select few. Now, this is a critical piece of economic logic because if we can take that economic principle that free riding is going to benefit those people that play the game and it's going to be paid for by 26 million Australians, That's a pretty awesome piece of information. Now, I teach the Forex Growth Plan and I try and break down the Forex Growth Plan, which has many little subsections to it, in an easy context. The easiest way to understand it is there's four ways you can create capital growth. You can buy well and really add your own value. You can uh, buy a good location and let the location do the work for you. You can buy a good marketplace and, of course, let the marketplace do a, a work for you. And, of course, you can add value to real estate by buying a behavior, a view, um, you know, a, a property which has great orientation, something which is... Uh, very walkable, a walkable suburb, which improves the value. So in economics, we can break down the Forex growth plan into two, two sections of growth. One is what is known as earned growth, 
and one is known as unearned growth, an earned incremental way to make money and an unearned incremental way to make money. Now, let me explain it a little bit further so you walk away truly understanding what I am referring to. If we broke down the Forex growth plan, we've actually got two sections of the Forex growth plan, buying well and growth predictors or behaviors, which is known as earned growth. In other words, if you buy the property, work out how to add value to the real estate yourself, whether that's through time in the market, whether that's through um, des redesigning you know, a bedroom, whether that's through small-scale development, building for profit, buying uh, pre-construction, whatever it is, that is you earning the growth. Again, with choosing a real estate with a very good behavior behind it, a predictor sometimes we call it, or an emotional attachment to the real estate, that is you choosing an asset and you earning the growth. It's earned by you. And of course, uh, you know, if you were to buy a property and I just use some simple examples, there are many, many versions of good behaviors to real estate. But a simple example is a property with a beautiful view line. Uh, you are going to basically earn growth by choosing that asset. That is something that is in your control. Then we have unearned growth or unearned incremental growth. In other words, a benefit that really you've done nothing to actually do to receive the benefit of. And in my Forex growth plan, really there are two ways to get a benefit that you have done nothing to receive or to earn that benefit. The first one is location growth. In other words, communities growing the betterment of a neighborhood which you're not participating in as an investor. You're not even living in the community and creating no benefit to that community other than you are borrowing the benefit. And in that respect, you are receiving unearned growth. You're not putting your sweat and tears into the community. So location growth is unearned growth. And of course, market growth, which is the overall property market in the city you choose to buy in, again, is growth, which is has nothing to do with you. Pi economics has very little nothing to do with the property investor. They, of course, choose to follow it or they don't. If they do choose to follow Pi Economics and choose free riding, then, of course, they are getting an unearned benefit from that situation. If a, you know, a new commercial precinct with lots of jobs comes to a suburb, that has nothing to do with 
uh, you as a property investor choosing to invest there. That is just something which is going to bring value and it is an unearned growth model. Now, the reason I teach the Forex growth plan is the best way to create capital growth is to put both earned growth and unearned growth basically side by side and of course over a period of time you will get the benefits of buying well uh, earned growth adding value through good uh, good emotion behaviors like views earned growth and of course then you've got your unearned growth community capital which is improving the location and of course pi economics affecting the marketplace and this is where property investors free ride and ultimately can get themselves into a place where they get a windfall now there are other free riding methodologies to create a windfall in real estate and of course the, the most famous i guess and dollar productive is rezoning so if a suburb uh, gets rezoned and all of a sudden you can create a higher and better use out of that suburb then there usually is a bit of a windfall uh, even certain state governments now have windfall taxes if they for example go and rezone a cow paddock into a you know housing area uh, then the farmer who has done nothing to actually get the windfall is now actually paying um, a certain level of gain tax for that windfall that they did nothing to actually earn so free riding if it's a huge windfall is actually now governments are stepping in and going well you know what did you you do to actually uh, win that activity nothing however at a buy and hold level which is a lot smaller playbook than for example buying you know thousands and thousands of acres of land um, a small windfall approach of an unearned growth process is really to follow for example major infrastructure projects around cities or jobs around cities or population around cities and of course the gain that you can create really has nothing to do with the productive efforts of you the investor it really is uh, because of the battle plan if you like of government now here in australia of course the australian government has a mandate you know by mid-century they want closer to 40 million people uh, so it could be anywhere from sort of 36 to 40 million people depending on on what the australian economy needs any given year but really the fact that you know over the next few years, Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, Perth, Adelaide are going to be the beneficiaries of 10, 15 million people coming to Australia to call Australia home and live. That's not a 
property investor earning anything other than knowing that knowledge and free riding off the back of it. And again, if you don't use that knowledge and go, well, where are those 10 million people going to live? Well, let's face it, they're going to live for the most part in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane and so forth. Then you've got to make a decision. Is that the free riding ticket you want to be part of? And of course, um, when it comes to free riding as well, you can often look at economies and go, well, they are actually not going to get the free riding effect. That government's not going to spend money in that area. If they're going to spend money, they're going to upgrade the local swimming pool so kids can learn to swim. That's about it. We are not talking huge population uh, jobs. We are not talking massive infrastructure projects. And of course, uh, really free riding, if you like, also has a bit of a history. Now, if you look at Sydney, for example, it's got a much better underground train network than, uh, than Perth. If you look at Melbourne, it's got something like 300 square kilometres of tram network. That's pretty hard to beat, right? Because for a city, I don't know, like, um, uh, I don't know, Cairns, can they actually ever afford to put 300 square kilometres or even 100 square kilometres or even 50 square kilometres of tram network in that city? Uh, will they actually not get a free riding effect off the back of, of a lack of investment, disinvestment? And if we look at where the most expensive real estate is, it is in free riding cities. And really, if we understand how cities were formed, Cities which failed to contribute early to the city's uh, infrastructure and really didn't approach city building from an economic feasibility point of view actually suffer later with the inability to re-infrastructure. And of course, again, like even in Sydney... Sydney is the size of Melbourne. Uh, they're very comparable places, I guess you would say, from a size point of view, probably the two cities which have the most population. It, Sydney could never, ever, ever repeat what Melbourne has done when it comes to its tram ne network. We built one tram uh, here in Sydney, and I'm a Sydney resident, um, from George Street out to Maroubra. Oh my God, it took like six years. It, uh, you know, it basically goes about 14 kilometers. Uh, it's a great piece of infrastructure for those people living on that free ride line. Uh, it doesn't benefit anyone else in Sydney, but a certain pocket of people who live on the uh, beaches and inner city precinct that goes out. Um, Maruba is one of the sort of southern beaches of the eastern suburbs, I guess you would say. Uh, so it only benefits a small amount of people, but the cost, the time, the, it just unbelievable. 
And so can you imagine putting 300 square kilometres of tram network into Sydney? It just will never happen. So again, like the idea that certain infrastructure exists already is actually a free ride. The fact that it will never exist in certain places is good knowledge to understand. The ultimate really is to go, well, there is efficient infrastructure, but there is more coming or more population, employment and infrastructure. How do I free ride off the back of that? And really, it's probably fair to say that here in Australia, for whatever reason, richer areas actually get a better free ride. Uh, wealthy areas have more access to high quality public services, such as better schools, education, better access to healthcare, better access to existing infrastructure, which ultimately contribute to economic growth and overall prosperity. So the reality is the inner city, middle ring and early outer ring suburbs these days have the better infrastructure right now and so there is already the free riding effect unfolding in many of those areas but infrastructure efficiency and free riding actually creates growth and this is again i think with a lot of the investment in brisbane for example uh, a lot of it is because of the idea of the Olympic Games. And a lot of people are like, well, I've got to buy in Brisbane. The Olympic Games is going to happen there. And of course, this is the concept that people actually economically have in their head that they want to go and free ride the Brisbane Olympics. Now, from 2015, I have been tracking this kind of bid for the 2000 Olympics. And again early stage investment for a lot of my investors was around where the Olympics is going to really be held. And of course, now that the Olympics finally got announced and it was won, well, of course, the free riding capital growth off the back of those early stage investors' decision to buy in those inner city suburbs has resulted in massive dividends. Uh, today, again, like the idea of free riding is something that property investors actually love. But for me, I really, really like free riding that creates a benefit that you're going to absolutely get a reward from because if you study town planning, you can often find I guess, free riding pockets, which are going to certainly do well. And again, it comes at the public purse, but benefits a very, very small amount of people. So free riding obviously pertains to jobs, population improvement and infrastructure. And today, you know, I'm using infrastructure to highlight the concept because I think it's the easiest to visualize one when you're actually listening but of course infrastructure is a way to create money and you kind of get three I guess goes at getting a benefit or a free ride off the back of it 
the three stages of impact, if you like, are when a project is announced, i.e. there is a bid for the Olympic Games. When construction starts is really the second stage of impact. And when construction or when the project is completed and operating, which is the third stage of impact. So if we think about the Olympic Games and free riding off the back of that, really the first stage when a project is announced is over. We are now into uh, really construction, starting to build this, uh, you know, many parts of the Olympic Games, whether it's improving swimming pools or, uh, you know, building velodromes and things like that. So obviously the Wollongabba Stadium, for example, is getting going to get the overhaul. So the benefits of that, you're going to get cross-city rails, which is, again, the benefits of that. Now, again, with the cross-city rail, uh, I was helping people buy as that project was announced and now you're really, you know, talking about construction uh, and eventually you'll be talking about it operating. So there is stages to free riding and obviously early stage has its pros and cons. Uh, Certainly major pieces of free riding infrastructure can be announced and then a change of government can happen and they can scrap it. So certainly making a decision based on uh, a project being announced is also has its pros and cons. It may not happen. But certainly when something's going into construction, there is a massive, massive benefit to, of course, using that information to free ride. Now, I mentioned this last podcast, I think, where are the big free rides today? Well, if we go to the major Australian infrastructure projects. We know, for example, West Connects is in $16 billion program in Sydney, Sydney Metro, a $12 billion program. That's, again, tramming, um, if you like, you know, spending $12 billion to do a bit of inner city tram work. Who's going to be the benefit of that? Well, really the lower North Shore probably, people, again, affluent people getting the benefit of it. Uh, Metro Tunnel Melbourne, uh, Westgate, these are kind of some of the inner city projects. Melbourne Airport uh, Rail Link, this is really going to benefit um, a fair few suburbs that sort of, I guess, go from around the airport area in, I guess, the northern area of Melbourne um, and drift in. And so, again, I'm doing a lot of buying at the moment along that Melbourne Airport Rail Link. Uh, You've got things like the Cross River Rail in Brisbane. Again, I've been investing around there for a long time, free riding. Um, Western Sydney Airport, Again, for a lot of people who have invested around there, they've done really, really well, free riding off the back of that. Um, Western Sydney uh, infrastructure plan, you've got the Metronet in Western Australia, which is basically a tram line. Again, there's some free riding opportunities around there. So this is the concept that if we become a property investor, we can create our own value, 
but we can also use value that we have done nothing to do to receive the benefit of. And again, like this is this is why the Forex growth plan is a great growth plan because you're not only trying to add value to real estate, trying to choose the right real estate which carries the right behaviors and emotions, but you're also trying to buy a very good location where the community, which you're not even part of, is creating a better uh, free ride. And of course, if you buy real estate where there is both trends that are positive, but also pie economics, and inside the marketplace of pie economics, you buy where the free riding is on the town plan map, you're going to get the full experience of the Forex growth plan. And again, it's it's happened to me, if you like, where, for example, I bought in an inner city suburb of Dali Chill, I don't know, back in 2007, I think it was. Um, bought myself sort of a double story, townhouse style, kind of a it's apartment, but it's, it's more or less a, like a townhouse because it's double story, it's just inside a, an apartment complex. Um, yeah, man, like I got a deal. Uh, how did I get a deal on that Forex growth plan? Let's go through it. I basically picked it up as a bit of a bargain because in 2007, it was a bit like the market is today. There was, you know, a few bargains out there to be had um, and a little bit of opportunity. And so I nabbed an opportunity and at the time I got myself around a $60,000 discount, which doesn't sound like much, but it was a great start to the investment. Um, so I ticked the box with deal growth um, from, uh, I guess, behavior point of view, which I could control by choosing the real estate. Uh, one straight across is a beautiful little park. And so I had very good space to my, um, my properties value, even though I had no land content. And really the behavior of that neighbor, of that parkland added a lot of value to the real estate. I chose to buy there knowing that it had green space next door. And so I earned the growth off that green space. The location actually was an inner city suburb of Dulwich Hill and it was getting also uh, the light rail and so the tram. So a couple of years later, the tram came to the suburb and of course the tram, which was free riding, was... Uh, I was the benefit of, but I did nothing to earn. I didn't do a thing. I didn't uh, help out building the tram. I didn't pay for the tram myself. I just paid my taxes. And really, the tram's a success story to Dulwich Hill. But again, like 26 million taxpayers paid for that. Um, and really, the beneficiary is really properties which are kind of walkable to about the seven tram stops that's about it um and again the value that that added to the real estate by virtue of location was just 
phenomenal free riding. And of course, Sydney's got a great free riding history where a lot of people love to move to Sydney because of just how beautiful it is as a place and how many jobs are here. And of course, you know, it's an attraction mag- magnet for the ambitious. So generally ambitious people want to earn more and you get this kind of uh, flow on effect of free riding off jobs, population growth and infrastructure. I mean, back in 2007, Sydney's population was closer to 4 million. Now it's 5 million. What have I done to contribute to that? Basically nothing. Um, And I've got the free riding benefit of more people fighting over more space inside of the city itself. Free riding. So one way to examine free riding, if you like, of course, is the concept that there is a crane index, the idea that cranes are monitored. Where are, infa- where are infrastructure programs going inside of Australian economics? And of course, for example, if we looked at Hobart, the current crane count, this is about three months old, is two. Uh, Darwin, two. Adelaide, 17. Uh, 17 cranes in Adelaide, 12 in Newcastle. We go to Sydney, though, there's 380 cranes. Here you can see a lot of, obviously, free riding happening inside of Sydney. Obviously, a bigger populace than, for example, Newcastle. But we can probably work out that uh, even from that example, where there's 600,000 people living in sort of greater Newcastle and there's 12 cranes uh, and there's 5 million people living in Sydney and there's 380 cranes, the maths actually free rides better for Sydney um, than it technically does Newcastle. Newcastle kind of interlinked feeder economy. I own investments in Newcastle, great place. Um, But again, at the moment, seemingly, there's a lot of free riding going on in Sydney. Melbourne, 206 cranes, which is just amazing. And again, when we look at the key sectors of free riding, you've got a few contributors. And of course, again, the crane index, if you dig into it, actually reveals a lot about where the free rides are in economics. So some key sectors in free riding, aged care. Uh, Obviously, if there's uh, the ability for people to stay in a city and live their entire life, there is a societal benefit to that. Uh, From a crane index point of view, you can do civic. So, for example, public realm um, concepts. You can do civil, commercial, data, education, health, hotel, mixed-use, recreation, residential, and retail. And often when we uh, examine a city, we can examine, well, what is actually going on from a crane point of view and where are the free-riding opportunities? So if we examine Melbourne, for example, there's some work going into aged care. There is some work going into the public realm, civil. Uh, there is some work going into civic uh community benefits this is great these are all the signals we're looking for commercial 22 cranes out of the 200 uh 200 odd cranes in melbourne 
are building job centres, commercial precincts, data centres, one, education, seven. We can see from a health point of view, 14 cranes involved in upgrading hospitals. Great free riding concept. Uh, Hotels, five, mixed use, which is the idea that you're getting all sorts of things in one spot. Um, You might have supermarkets, a bit of office, even a bit of retail, um, all in one spot, maybe some resi, 23 cranes, recreation one. Uh, And if we go into residential, there are 96 cranes in Melbourne, which of course is not a huge amount because Melbourne is a massive, massive populace of five million odd people having babies and growing and so forth and of course we know that there is only 96 cranes of residential at the moment in Melbourne actually there are more cranes providing free riding than there are cranes providing residential accommodation residential can also create a free ride Um, in other words there is uh, people paying more for uh, for opportunities in a marketplace. However, what we really are looking for, if you like, is things like hospital health, um, data centers, commercial. These are these are uh, beautiful things to free wide off civil and civic train lines and public realm improvement. This is what we want to see inside of economics now again if we looked at for example the gold coast um, if we actually looked at the train index in the gold coast we've got a lot of cranes something like 52 cranes in the gold coast which um, is an interesting count at the moment however of the 52 cranes 48 are residential so there really is not much free riding being put into uh, into other sectors. So you've got one in aged care, you've got two in commercial, and you've got one in hotel and 48 residential. So 52 cranes in the Gold Coast, of which basically 90%, 95% is basically new um, new housing. Now... Depending on where that housing is going, obviously it can create a benefit or it could also potentially create uh, a future problem of too much stock being produced inside of the Gold Coast economy. However, I would say most of it is actually now luxury apartments and by looking at where the cranes are on the map, most of them seem to be on the beaches of the Gold Coast, probably providing that downsizer accommodation where generally they're a cash buyer coming into the Gold Coast marketplace to, yeah, chase that sun. But what is interesting between, I guess, if you examine Melbourne and you examine the Gold Coast is, you know, the Melbourne's eight times the populace of the Gold Coast and actually from a residential point of view, only has 96 cranes compared to 48. Um, So in other words, you can see Melbourne is very much undersupplied of stock coming through the crane index 
uh, we can see that there is a healthy residential trend there of not enough stock coming through the system. But if we take out supply, which is a trend mechanism, we can then just look at the other things which are basically free riding. Again, hospitals, free ride, retail, free ride, uh, healthcare, free ride, education, free ride, civil, free ride, commercial, free ride. So again, like the point of today's conversation is to not own real estate where you're based on your your basis of ownership is the greater full theory and of course again the greater full theory is just that someone has to come along and pay more for the real estate than you have paid based on a lack of fundamentals that are actually in the in that particular place and a greater full theory scares me a lot i don't think it's a wise way to invest again i would use the forex growth plan um, and the forex growth plan is very pro uh, free riding in pie economic areas so when you think about uh i guess free riding like let's just break it down perhaps we follow for example melbourne's suburban rail loop which i'm doing at the moment um you basically look for suburbs where there's going to be an impact point off the back of infrastructure uh, more improved infrastructure is actually a productivity measure of innovation of a economy and of course uh, if you examine the benefit of for example a new train station coming to a suburb obviously you're going to get improved trans um, transportation and of course this is going to attract new money to the suburb and of course even new businesses to the area increasing the demand for housing and commercial real estate and again this is what we call unearned growth you've done nothing to uh to facilitate any of that but you're the beneficiary of it obviously you'll get things like uh increased foot traffic increased sales increased activity at a local suburb perspective because you've got the ability to house more people off the back of a train and again like this this is how a location improves if you've got better businesses better revenue better local shops people are attracted to that again this is the ability for a free ride inside a suburb and of course you're going to receive um, off the back of that higher property values it will happen and uh, again it's just the way it ultimately works and of course infrastructure is just just a magnet i guess for activity of free riding growth and so if we went through pi population infrastructure and employment or jobs i think we all get the jobs thing like if we can buy within 20 minutes to a job center we're going to do very very well i think we all get the infrastructure thing if we buy where there's efficient existing infrastructure and or future good infrastructure we're going to 
certainly be the beneficiary of that. And of course, population, I think we all get that, that people are going to move to Australia and the beneficiaries of that are typically our large university-based cities where there's a massive catchment for people and they are Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane and so forth. And of course, when I look at free riding off population movement, uh, and if I was to broke it down to a few categories, you've got basically people moving from dwelling to dwelling. You've got urban to suburban, which again, I all that is is people moving from the inner city to the middle suburbs. Um, you've got suburban to urban, people doing the reverse. You've got interstate where people move uh, from one state to another state. You've got intergenerational, uh, sorry, interregional, whereby um, someone might move from Newcastle to Sydney or Sydney to Newcastle. You've got international, people moving from uh, Berlin to take up a scientific job in Melbourne. Uh, do people really move from Frankfurt to uh, Orange? I don't think they do. They move from Berlin to Melbourne, from Frankfurt to Melbourne, from London to Sydney. Uh, these are the major population routes. And of course, the trend through COVID was really urban to sub-regional, urban to even rural. Um, and really that trend um, was something that drove certainly smaller regional communities, but for me, free riding, probably I see more benefit on uh, out of the big seven, which is urban to suburban, suburban to urban, rural to urban, urban to rural, interstate, interregional and international. Really, I see the big benefits of basically five out of those seven. I probably put a ruler from really urban to rural. I think it's a, it's a little bit trendy for me. Um, as opposed to, I know there's going to be international migrants coming to Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane. I know that people grow up in Newcastle and have a dream to try out Sydney. I know that uh, certainly people have major big houses in suburbia and love moving into the inner city for a bit of fun. I know that inner city people grow up and want to move out to suburbia. I know that. That's irrefutable. Uh, I can't guarantee when someone wants to go and live in a regional community. I don't know when that's going to happen. I know it's a trend, but it's not something that technically I like to bet on because even in those rural communities or sub-regional or smaller villages or small little cities, if you like, that are not part of the top 10, 15 places to invest in Australia... I don't know what their free riding activity is. I really, I struggle to understand where the free rides are inside of economics in those places. They really trend or momentum marketplaces based on demographic shifts, yields, and of course, supply and demand, which was quite favourable during COVID. But are those days over? Yeah, probably. 
So if you're, for example, using my five cities plan and you were trying to link it to free riding of population, you know, you could build a great portfolio. You could, for example, have uh, Sydney urban, Melbourne suburban, Brisbane suburban, Newcastle uh, urban and Adelaide suburban. Like that is really how you could shape a property portfolio, for example, that you've got these properties in these cities which are going to benefit from population, infrastructure and employment. And if you're smart about where you invest, you can do the free ride. And if you're even smarter about how you approach investing, you can use the Forex growth plan, which of course is buy well, free ride off a location, free ride off pi economics in a market. And of course, uh, add some value your own way through making sure that you choose a great reason as to why that real estate is going to create emotion. We call that behavioral growth. All right, folks, that's it from me. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. I'll catch you next time. I'll let you know if we win the Guinness Book of Records for the world's oldest dog, the last Soviet dog is uh, sadly passing away. But was he a world record holder? We will soon find out. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, Take care and bye for now.